now accused of being an online kingpin, one who built a fortune as the mastermind of the world's largest illegal online marketplace called Alphabet. Never would have found the site for a search engine. It lived on the so-called dark web. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. I'm Nick Muniz. This is Nick's Nonfiction. Happy Fourth of July. The Marine John Cena. Breaking Flash Boys by Michael Lewis. We've done like three Michael Lewis books at this point. Skip ahead. So I'm going to read my book. I had like an entire point about economics, so we'll do that in the bonus segment today. Some economics jokes? Is that what we come here for? The sex position formerly known as 69 due to inflation is now 96. Due to inflation, the cost of eating out has gone up. I'm sorry, babe. I'll do my best. I'm also drinking today to celebrate the 4th of July. Toss one back. The Founding Fathers. So we read Liar's Poker. Salomon Brothers. Corrupt. We read The Big Shark. We read Moneyball. He gets on base. Michael Bay. <coughs> What's his name? Michael Shermer. Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis. He knows the banksters. He worked in like Saigon, Singapore. With all that poverty in Singapore, it might as well be called multi-poor. Quote, the markets were now run by technology, but the technologists were still treated like tools. Nobody bothered to explain the business to them, but they were forced to adapt to its demands and exposed to its failures. Dude, you got to read this book. <laughs> I'll explain it as best as I can in under a half an hour today. That he's got physical evidence of cheating. What kind of an apocalypse would be best for the economy? A zombie apocalypse. Zombies are great consumers. Another one. I heard the economy is getting so bad, ExxonMobil had to lay off 25 congressmen. Don't miss the bonus. <clears throat> About the author Michael Lewis, check out Harry Shit on Instagram. This would be the fourth time we're doing Michael Lewis, so not happening. <laughs> Harry Shit, free memes. Cat ownership? A lot like the economy. 50% of cats are owned by the top 1% of cat lovers. We'll be right back. Fourth of July, you better be partying your nose off. Chapter 1, Flash Boys. Cheat to win. Most American book ever. Michael starts out with some history as always. Basically he tells the story of the big short, the 2008 bank crash. In the past, the majority of share trading was funneled through Wall Street and the New York Stock Exchange. The old system is typically what people envisioned of Wall Street. He said now it's funneled through brokerages and hedge funds. A lot of precursory material for today. I'll take my Pulitzer now. So yeah, they're trying to confuse you. We've covered this in past books. That's why all the double subprime triple A mortgage... It's to make you look away while they steal everything. So the big short, he kind of says it out loud. They hate you. High-frequency trading firms measure value by unfathomable speed. If an investor's trade is executed at 10 milliseconds, an HFT firm will, within 9 milliseconds capacity, intercept the signal and manipulate it for their benefit. 
So you're Mr. Joe's Bond Company. And then HFT firm opens up. They're doing what you could do in 10 milliseconds and 9 milliseconds. For example, if an investor wants to buy a share of X at $10, a high-frequency trader will buy the share for that amount and sell it to the investor at $12 before the investor even notices the change. In shorthand, it's rigged. Ah, took a swig. You can't even see... The lesser price before the big boys get a chance to buy first. Like I used to trade with the Robinhood app. They wouldn't acknowledge your stop losses. So I... <laughs> anyway, like the whole game stonk thing went down. Robinhood accounts you couldn't sell. You're literally trapped. <laughs> so you get like three guys to file chapter 101 every seven years and they take the blame. That's a real tourist scam. It's the same shit in economies. They control the ups and downs and can sell before you can. Milliseconds before. So yeah, getting to the plot, 2007. With the construction of a fiber optic cable. And since this specific line doesn't serve any public utility, those working on site wonder why it needs to be installed. They're using taxpayer money to secure quicker trading firms for HFT, these private firms. Lewis compares the underground pipeline fiber optic cable to a reptile, complete with individual needs and wants. The burrow it lives in needs to be as high and straight as possible, without kinks or turns. <laughs> the line will connect the South Pride of Chicago to Stock Exchange in New Jersey. So the whole story, he's weaving in and out. They're building this line from Chicago to New Jersey. And people start rioting in Pennsylvania. Ain't no fucking fiber optic cable on my land. Get off my lawn, you want to eat a slug? Because the line must be as straight as possible, the surface configuration of the land becomes irrelevant. Holes are blown through mountains even when going around would be cheaper and less labor intensive. So why are they spending so much money to go through the mountains? <laughs> it's a big project. They could write it off. Just like Bud Light with the beer. They wound up donating like a 10 million cases to an African country and got a billion dollar write-off. But Randy with his AR firing at the Bud Light case, that'll show the corporations. Another one. Cletus, get the hand grenade. I can't stand this tranny. <laughs> So once again, those working the line are perplexed, but nonetheless are kept in the dark. They are only given limited information, mostly concerned with the logistics of the line rather than its purpose. This is an authentic soundboard from Nick's anus. The squeaker. <laughs> oh, and it's a stanker. So yeah, this is what our tax money is used for, to blow holes in mountains that don't need to be there so rich guys could trade money faster. Quote, Mogan Stanley. Hey, yo, I'm fucking Mogan Stanley. <laughs> there needs to be, like, a black firm on Wall Street. That'd be sick. Mogan Stanley wanted to be able to trade for itself in a way it could not trade for its customers. It just didn't want to seem as if it were wanted to. Mogan Stanley. And then he levels up for his Dragon's Ball Z character in the middle of a board meeting. <laughs> I'm just going to complain about creepy liars this whole episode. Let's have fun with it. 
quote, for a fee, the exchange will flash information about buy and sell orders just a few fractions of a second before the information is made publicly available. Bringing the chapter full circle. They get the information seconds before so they can sell information. It's valuable. Chapter 2, Canadian Counter. So this is when we met Brad Katsayuma, an employee at the Royal Bank of Canada. Brad is described as analytically gifted, conscientious, and team-oriented. As a young man, he chose to follow his girlfriend and friends to a lesser-known Canadian college rather than accept admission to a world-class university. He hated to be singled out for his gifts and perceived inadequacies. He preferred the energetic and bustling environment of trading stock on Wall Street. Keeps going on with the story. He's this model employee. Lewis, he does like 50 characters per book, and it's all to see how they react to the crash. And then some of the people are pretending to be in on the scam, and some of the people... Let's stay on track. In June 2007, Brad was asked by an investor to sell 5 million shares of Selectron, a small electronics company in Singapore. That was about to be bought by a Roger company, Frextronics. Brad bought shares and began to sell them, but the price fell as someone had known what he was doing and was reacting to his actions before he even had the chance to execute them. The Sino Gangstock. Jokes. <laughs> so Wall Street is using super fiber optic cables to trick the Canadian bank. Let's go get it over on those maple slurping goons up there. Brad believed the problem was the trading machine he used to make his trades. Had technicians and technologists come over to look at it, they could see nothing wrong. He was told the problem was caused by the fact that he was too far from the markets in New Jersey. Brad was able to prove that was not the problem. He finally decided it was the technology from Carlin that RBC had placed on the side of the trading machines. There was probably a million comedian schmucks. Where's my money, eh? My cad. <laughs> That's what they call it up there. Oh, my cat is missing. How am I going to feed my moose today? Million Canadian dudes didn't get their money. <laughs> Fuck them. In 2005, the stock exchange went from being publicly run utilities owned by members to public corporations run for profit. This opened the door to competition. Good America. By early 2008, there were 13 different public exchanges. <laughs> I'm just, uh... We're setting sail, baby. New course. Most of the stocks sold at these exchanges never went through human hands. The exchanges consisted on a stack of computer servers that contained a program called the Matching Engine. There was only a small role left for the traders that was to act as intermediaries between buyers and sellers of giant blocks and stocks in the market. Less personal than uh, Tom and Jones Lawn Company. I don't give a fuck. We're turning into... The algorithm economy. You can't stop it. You gotta love it. Let's fucking go. Non-stop party. Nick's non-fiction from now on. Forever. Okay, we don't complain anymore. We tip our hats to the big short. What was that guy? Brad Pitt. He goes and lives like a fuckhead in the islands. Brad, in this book, hires Rob Park, a computer programmer. He's seeing if he could do undo the damage to RBC's computers. 
<sighs> Wall Street's taken advantage to us Canadians for too long. We're going to put on our fur hats and march right over the Niagara Falls. I don't know, it's got to be kind of hard to piss off a Canadian. They're taking action here. <laughs> a dark pool was a private stock exchange run by brokers that was not required to reveal the internal rules to the public. The allowed large trades to be done in secret that the price of stock did not plummet in anticipation. <laughs> That's kind of the dopest part of the book. These dark pools he was talking about. They're granted a shroud of privacy from the public so that people don't sell their stock before a big trade. So even if you own money in a company, even if you're a member of the Mr. Beast channel, he can make a decision without you. Mr. I'm feeling the soundboard. Maybe it's because I'm drunk. You can't keep getting away with it! But you see, that's the normal Nick's nonfiction vibe. We're not going for that anymore. No, no, no. Dude, what are we, only like four years into the journey? I still gotta go to rehab three times. <laughs> BC gave Brad and his team permission to run a series of experiments to try to find the answers as to why the stock market on their trading screens was different from the actual market. The team made a series of trades over several months. They worked from several theories. One of these was based in the idea that mating engines were cancelled, ordered, and not removed completely from the system. However, all their theories were too easy to debunk. One day, Rob was looking at a chart Alan had designed that showed when each exchange was received the trade offer. Some were received the order faster than others. Rob created a program later called Thor that slowed down the faster orders, causing all them to arrive at the same time. Problem solved. So yeah, you can reverse engineer the bug. Thor saves the day. Worried that it needed to do more to promote a diversity. <laughs> We're trying to get rich here. Going around the table, people took turns responding to requests to talk about your experience of being a minority at RBC. When Brad's turn came, he said, to be honest, the only time I've ever felt like much a minority is this exact moment. Oh! Brad, HR needs to see you. <laughs> Pretty savage in the diversity. I'm only a minority right now, bro. Joe Biden. He wondered often what it would look like and if when this shit in question hit the fan, the stock market at bottom was rigged. The icon of global capitalism was a fraud. <laughs> Chapter 3. Flash Crash. The same system that once gave us subprime mortgage collateralization debt obligations no investor could possibly truly understand now gave us stock market trades that occurred at fractions of a penny at an unsafe speed using order types that no investor could possibly truly understand. But just trust Darkpool. <laughs> Deadpool. Sussy baka. Unchecked. That's what we're about, right? Taxation without represent. The initial promise of computer technology was to remove the intermediary of the financial market. See, I'm not focusing on, on the quote, because I'm focusing. Now that's the best intellectual take of the day. What do you mean by that? That's what I mean. So this is the fart show. <laughs> 
The initial promise of computer technology was to remove the intermediary from the financial market, or at least reduce the amount he could scalp from the market. The reality turned out to be a windfall of financial intermediaries of somewhere between $10 billion and $22 billion a year, depending on whose estimates you wanted to believe. Damn, just with this little penny scam, they're making $20 billion a year. Every systematic market injustice arose from some loophole in a regulation created to correct some prior injustice. No matter what the regulators did, some other intermediary found a way to react. So there would be another form of front-running. Like, enough of the banker terms. He's putting it in a normal man's terms. Front-running. <laughs> We're trusting banksters. And you wish lawyers. <laughs> Those are the people that'll set up a fair society. It's about drive, it's about power. So this chapter we meet, Ronovan Ryan. This kid always wanted to work on Wall Street. He wasn't able to find a brokerage firm that would have him. So he goes to work for MCI Communications. He's repairing pagers and crap. Ronan learned a great deal about telecommunications while working his way up the professional ladder at MCI. Ronan learned about transmission speeds, how they impact trades. He was told that latency was different between a button being pushed in one place and then transition, which is being received in another. He made a name for himself fixing latency problems when he moved servers belonging to Bountiful Trustus from Kansas City to Radiant 2's office in New Jersey, reducing the latency by 43 milliseconds to 3.8. He's a whiz kid. And you've probably heard this in passing by now because this book is maybe a decade old. But that's how you do it. you got to have your offices as close as possible to Wall Street. He learned the great social deal. Me, 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 me. He's the quickest gun in the West. So now the Canadians are taking note. They want to get him under their wing. Ronins began his lessons with Brad by showing him why, after initial success, Thor had become inconsistent. None of the speed of the fiber lines between Brad's trading machine and the exchanges were consistent. So he tells Brad about the latency charts some of the HFT firms had drawn up for him. This is the point of the story. As all stories go. Where now the protagonist is going to fight dirty. We got a number one victory royale, yeah. Break out the boogie bomb. We're fighting dirty. On May 10th, 2010, there was a flash crash on Wall Street for only a few minutes. The stock market crashed so low that some high-end stock exchanges traded at a penny a share. At a penny a share for a minute. You could have been a trillionaire. Then the market bounced back up to where it belonged. The episode was blamed on the mistaken placement on larger orders in Chicago and from obscure Kansas City hedge funds. Brad read the export, explaining that the crash found it irrelevant because it did not discuss any of the factors that HFT knew were involved. In September of that same year, another blip took place. In Chicago, a small stock exchange called CBSX announced that it was going to invert the usual system of fees and kickbacks. Suddenly, CSBXS, remember SBF in the news, was doing a huge amount of business, most likely with HFT firms. Chapter 4, Sleeper Cell. That's the entire tagline for the book. The U.S. economy crashed and it only lasted for two seconds. And a lot of money changed hands in those two seconds. <laughs> so yeah, you could say people knew about it beforehand. Why did people sell stocks before? Shmep, shmem, shmep, shmep. 
quote, Ronan, for his part, couldn't quite believe how ordinary people on Wall Street were. It's a whole industry of bullshit, he said. So is everything. <laughs> in 2008, Dave Cummings, the CEO of high-frequency trading firm called TradeBot, told university students that his firm had gone four years without a single day of trading losses. This sort of performance is possible, only if you have a huge informational advantage. <laughs> I have a huge information So yeah, that's how you get money. You withhold information. Thor. Thor.2. Thor.3. Brad and Ronan, they're gaining respect to moving up the ranks of the scum side of Wall Street. It's ironic, because they gain credibility for cheating. So they get this new guy, the Bank of America security ex-executive John Schwal. Schwing! And that's a fact. Let's go, schwing! Schwing! Suck. Rich Gates, another character we got here. <laughs> Rich Gates. I'll see you at the country club. Gates decided to run a test. He began buying and selling shares of rarely traded stocks, such as Chipotle Mexican Grill. Gates was shocked to see that someone was front-running these trades as he was doing losing money. He went to the Wall Street Journal about this, but the reporter chose not to write a story out of fear of mentioning the biggest culprit, Goldman Sachs. Gates then went to the SEC, but failed to do anything as well. The Wall Street Journal, however, changed their minds after the flash crash and publicized a story about Gates' experiment, but did not mention Goldman snacks. Holy crap! So they got, like, the best snacks in their break room. Goldman snacks. <laughs> I need to invest in ding-dongs. Goldman snacks. Money talk. Shaw came to believe, shwing, that many of the technical people, the programmers, did not know that their algorithms were being used for. Sergey Elenhov worked for a telecommunications company when he was approached by a headhunter who had been a client on Wall Street eager to hire Sergey for his computer programmer skills. The company was Goldman Sachs. After a complicated string of interviews, including one with Sergey, was required to solve two complicated math problems, he was offered a job. At the time, Sergey began working at Goldman Sachs. There was 14 stock exchanges in New Jersey and more than 40 dark pools, two of which belonged to Goldman Sachs. Some dirt in this book. Sergey took a job at Goldman Sachs. That was until he was offered the opportunity to create a trading platform for a hedge fund by Misha Myshlov, a fellow Russian. After leaving his job, sir, he was arrested by the FBI for stealing computer code belonging to Goldman Sachs. They got Russian moles and people on the internet are problems they're gonna fuck our economy let's get the rooskies <laughs> that's a sacked up story from Michael Lewis let me take this lip out so I could drink freely Michael Lewis this guy's a legend <laughs> I would recommend every Michael Lewis book <clears throat> This part's sick. By accident, some traders had stumbled across a route controlled by Verizon that took 14.65 milliseconds, the golden route. The traders called it because of the occasions you happened to find yourself on it when you were first to exploit the discrepancies between prices in Chicago and prices in New York. It's pretty savage. You could send a nude in 15 seconds to Chicago. <laughs> 
So yeah, this whole subchapter, Goldman has fucking Russian insiders. Every manager of Wall Street tech group likes to have people to believe that his guys are geniuses. Russians, whatever. His whole persona among his peers is that what he and his team do cannot be replicated. When people find out that 95% of their code is open source, kills the perception. So nobody knows some, like, Epstein's Bear Stearns number genius. Some economic trickery. Economics. Friggin' epic. Chapter 5. The Big Short. 2012, Brad loses faith in the system. RBC infiltrated. Him and Ronan try to create a new company. And then he switches off to the big short because it happens 28 to 2011. By the middle of 2011, roughly 30% of all stock market trades occurred on the public exchange, most of them in dark pools. The appeal of these dark pools, said the Wall Street banks, was the investors could expose their big stock market orders without the fear that those orders would be exploited. That's the New York Times answer. We don't want, like, normal people to get involved with the money. (laughs) They might mess it up. Oh my god, that's strong. Goldman Sachs, they said they had at least two dark pools. So that's like... What, they got a $700 billion banker bailout? But it's cool because black guy approved it. Obama. Maybe he was in bed with... Yo, I'm gonna move to Singapore and party. <laughs> Happy 4th of July. Quote, The new players in the financial markets, the kingpins of the future, who had the capacity to reshape those markets were a different breed. The Chinese guy who had spent the previous 10 years in American universities. The French particle physicist from Fermilab. The Russian aerospace engineer. The Indian PhD in electrical engineering. There were thousands of these people, said Schwal. Schwing. Basically all of them with advanced degrees. I remember thinking to myself how unfortunate it was that so many engineers were joining these firms to exploit investors rather than solving public problems. (laughs) Because we're out here to win. 2013, Brad notices a new activity among HFT, dark pool arbitrage. This was when a bank would place a big order in their own dark pools but not share it with the rest of the market. HFT would buy small block shares, sell them at higher higher prices. This was the only HFT activity Brad saw in IEX. Sex. Quote, One bank was not like all the others. Goldman Sachs sought out Brad in order to ask him about his views in the system. They even took him in. Brad, who's playing dirty at this point. But now he's inside the inside man. Mr. Anderson, we'd like to talk. A short time later, Goldman Sachs began making large trades on IEX. Six. Bringing the exchange out of the red and into the black. A lot of fucking technical talk. This quote kind of sums up Michael's conclusion. The U.S. stock market was now a class system rooted in speed of haves and have-nots. The haves paid for nanoseconds. The have-nots had no ideas that nanoseconds had value. The haves enjoyed a perfect view of the market. The haves not never saw the market at all. 
what had once been the world's most public, most democratic financial market had become, in spirit, something more like a private viewing of a stolen work of art. We can't end it that sad. This is fucking America. Got a better chance of getting rich here than anywhere. If this story has a soul, it is in the decision made by its principal characters to resist the temptation of easy money and to pay special attention to the spirit in which their living work and their lives are. I didn't write about them because they were controversial. I wrote about them because they were admirable. Everybody, buy my NFT. Nick's nonfiction, Flash Boys. Shout out Keith Rue, recommending this one. That's a home run recommendation. We make these books silly. Just take it out as a recommendation at this point, because... <laughs> yes. Michael Lewis, that's probably his last time on the show. You are officially on the Nick's Nonfiction Mount to Read More. Mount Read More, first attendant, Michael Lewis. Thank you guys for tuning in, the Nickers. Seriously, wouldn't be doing it without you. Be right back with the bonus segment. Alright, so this is a reading from my book, It Theory, by Nick Muniz. It's no longer available. I took it down, and so I'm just going to share some of the parts that are... So this is just about the economy. The economy is artificial. Crash-tested. Quantitative easing is a fancy way to say, your money has no basis. Speaking of baseless money, I'm starting in the middle of a chapter here. And it's written in my voice, that's why it sounds so conversational. How reliable is cryptocurrency? I'm not against anyone making a dollar. I would even start mining Bitcoin if I was any good with technology. But can Bitcoin be more easily controlled than tangible tender? I believe so. Runaway coins like Monero can be used to support black markets, but my opinion, if the objective was resistance, people should focus more on supply lines than cryptocurrencies. Then there's trigger words in this book. Industrial society and its future. I know how it sounds. You can't see it anymore. You guys gotta fucking hop on the books while they're there. Ethereum, who I was a previous investor in, on May 25th, 2022, announced the introduction of soulbound tokens, a way to physically verify your employment to other citizens using a soul wallet. We can go deep on this, like some Ray Kurzweil plot point on what currency is becoming. Hits bong. Of course, this can be explained to investors as theft and scam prevention. CEO Vitalik Buterin believes soul drops will be used by universities to distribute degrees to students' soul wallets. If you sneak a keg into a dorm room, this will be displayed on your soul score. All future employers will see how quick you could funnel a beer. This information is stored on your blockchain and can be authorized by other users of the currency. It's a monetary LinkedIn where instead of doing work, everyone is fighting over endorsements. Our lives are becoming NFTs where instead of artists, central banks issue the degree of authenticity to your life. A plus for automaton system lifestyle, F for treating life as your canvas. Absurdist philosophical lifestyles are being artificially priced out of existence. In plain English, soul-bound tokens are further materialistic attractions being used to integrate a social credit system. Industrial society and its future. Bro, I got pages on pages of economic talk in my book. I've bought up digital voodoo dolls on Nick's nonfiction. The banking system has a nicer term. Digital twin. 
Web 3.0 is supposed to give people more ownership over their digital selves. Business gurus try to say that this means it's time to start your business. I'm being honest, this Web.3, Web.3, SBT, BS sounds to me like the new code. Investors used to know to double down when Fed interest rates were lower. Now the incrementalism is being digitized so old stock shepherds like Jim Cramer are playing by different rules. Under Web 3.0, refusing to get a stabbing tin could result in limited options on your stock portfolio. We're going to end it right around here the Forbes richest list are pool boys in 2017 the Rockefellers were knocked down to number three on the list according to Forbes their fortune is only worth 11 billion reminder Michael Jordan was the first athlete billionaire we're expected to believe that athletes are on the same playing field as the Rockefeller fortune Rockefeller standard oil was split to Exxon and Chevron and they're still only worth 11 billion John D was worth 300 billion at the time. We're supposed to believe Mark Zuckerberg today is capable of buying all the Rockefellers assets in cash. Mark Zuckerberg is apparently richer than Standard Oil. If John D Rockefeller Mark Zuckerberg richer than Exxon and Chevron. That's the Forbes richest list. Aster Guggenheim, Rothschild, Vanderbilt Morgan, people who controlled the East India Trading Company are now down to LeBron James money. The inheritors must have been playing too much pickleball. It's a comedy book. Keep your eye over on patreon.com slash the niche. We're doing George Carlin this year for the comedy edition. Maybe I fucking write an hour of comedy in his voice and we do that over on the Patreon. Thank you guys for tuning in. See you all next time. Peace!